This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. I think it's probably just information and transparency about the process and what it takes. The Iowa General Assembly is back in session. It's about revenues and making sure we're able to afford the things we want to do in Iowa, but it's also did that tax cut actually help middle class families? And the attitude seems more cordial. In general, I thought Governor Reynolds did a fine job of presenting her agenda to Iowans. Um, we will work with her as much as possible on the things that we agree on. The 2019 Iowa Legislative Session now underway. Our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. The 88th Iowa General Assembly gaveled into session this past week. Monday was filled with the obligatory signing of the roll after swearing-in ceremonies, speech-making by the leaders of each party in each chamber, and figuring out which reserved parking space goes with which lawmaker. Tuesday was the governor's condition of the state address. Wednesday was the Chief Justice's state of the judiciary speech. Along the way, the governor's proposed budget was set forth, and a two-day inauguration for the governor and lieutenant governor occupied schedules Thursday and Friday. In other words, other than the inauguration, a pretty standard start. But there was a bit of a different tone in the State House as this session began. As the executive director and editor of Iowa Watch, Lyle Muller, found out when he went to the Capitol this past Tuesday. There's no exaggerating when describing the last Iowa legislative session, which drew to a close last spring. It was contentious. Republicans had control of both the House and Senate with the Republican governor to boot. A stream of bills popular with Republicans and opposed by, loathed in some instances, by Democrats passed during the last two years. Limits on public employee collective bargaining, a 1% increase in public school funding in each of the two years, and a fetal heartbeat law, just to name three. An election since then has come and gone, and Republicans still control both legislative chambers and the governor's office. But the tone seemed gentler as the 2019 legislative session began in Des Moines. No doubt contentious arguments will happen over how much to fund programs, but Governor Kim Reynolds hit on some bipartisan themes during her condition of the state address on January 15th. Start work on a mental health care delivery system that reaches children. Improve funding for other health care delivery in Iowa through Medicaid. Boost spending on K-12 public schools by 2.3% per pupil. Rebuild rural Iowa through education, jobs, and other means. And pass constitutional amendments that restore voting rights to convicted felons who serve their time, but also preserve certain rights for crime victims. In general, I thought Governor Reynolds did a fine job of presenting her agenda to Iowans. Um, we will work with her as much as possible on the things that we agree on. That's Senator Pam Yoakum, a Dubuque Democrat. I, I was pleased to hear that she wanted to make additional funding available for mental health services in our state. Um, one of my concerns, however, is that uh, we still are not fully funding the children's mental health system and that some of the funding I saw presented in today's speech on K-12 education, although it says a 2.3% increase in funding, which is good, um, some of that money is actually coming from cuts to the area education agencies. And of course, they are the ones that provide 
Um, they needed services to our children with special needs in the classroom. So I have some concerns about some of the things I've heard and some of the details I've heard. Um, but, you know, we're going to work with her as much as we possibly can because we want to move the state forward. And uh, we want to make sure that Iowa's workers uh, get a fair shake. Democrats will be interested in the state's income tax rate after Republicans enacted tax rate cuts in the last session. Representative Dave Jacoby of Coralville framed it this way. It's about revenues and making sure we're able to afford the things we want to do in Iowa. But it's also, did that tax cut actually help middle class families? Is that helping people send their children to college? Is it helping people pay their bills? I mean, we keep talking about who we're targeting for tax policy, but it seems as if it tends to be the people that are in seven figures and may not need the cut as much as someone who's, you know, both parents are working and the family's struggling. I think simply it doesn't hurt to sit down and review all your tax policies from the last five years and frankly have an individual meeting on each tax credit that we do. Todd Pritchard is the House Minority Leader, a Charles City Democrat. He said he was pleased to hear Reynolds propose four psychiatric residencies out of the University of Iowa to deal with mental health issues in rural Iowa. He also liked the governor's overall focus on rural Iowa development, but he questioned whether enough funding would be available. You know, I appreciate the focus on rural issues, but what, what I explain is what ha what's happening in rural Iowa is we're losing services. And we're losing services like education opportunities and programs. Our rural schools aren't able to keep up in terms of offering the same types of high-quality programs that maybe, maybe bigger districts can. So that's a disadvantage when you're comparing where do you want to raise a family, what are the opportunities what you want your children to have in school. But it goes beyond school. It goes um, to job training. It goes to health care. Um, having to travel for basic health care services to see a doctor, a pharmacist, a specialist, um, some sort of clinician. Um, those are the types of things that if, if we want to keep rural Iowa vibrant and attractive for people to live and work, we've got to make sure that the services are available within a reasonable distance. On the Republican side, Representative Ashley Hinson of Marion sees a lot to like in what Reynolds proposed to start the session. I loved hearing about her priorities for children's mental health. I think that was a shared priority that we and uh, many legislators have in terms of um, making some progress on the recommendations from the Children's Mental Health Board. Um, I know that um, some of her other policy recommendations in terms of the Victims Rights Amendment, the Constitutional Amendment, that's something that I had worked on last year to try to gain support for in this chamber um, by, in a bipartisan way. I co-sponsored that with a Democrat last year and so I'm hopeful that um, with the governor laying that out as a, a key policy priority that she wants to see move forward, um, I think that hopefully we'll be able to get some support there. And then also with, um, you know, looking at being able to rehabilitate and take that next step and um, get your dignity back in terms of restoring felon uh, voter rights and then also some of the steps to, to el eliminate liability for employers who are willing to take that chance on those people. I think those are all things that are really, really important um, and a small step we can take to, to help in those areas. What's moving the needle now on felony voting rights? That's been around a while. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think it's probably just information and transparency about the process and what it takes. I think that, you know, like she said, she's done this 88 times, you know, already. So I think from, from my perspective, if you have fulfilled your sentence and you've paid your, your debt to society, so to speak, then 
why should we have additional barriers to you having your life back? Um, last year, one of the bills that I worked on was um, a bill that uh, would revoke your driver's license for six months if you had any sort of drug conviction. So, you know, if you're already down and out and there's another hit against you when you get out, how are you supposed to get back to your life? So I think that, you know, anything we can do to make that transition easier to, to normal life again, where they can continue to be good members of our society, uh, I think that's really what's driving that conversation overall. Despite the expected political fights, House Leader Todd Pritchard said he'd like to bring a collaborative tone to the 2019 legislative session. The, the voters have spoken. The election is over. I think voters are tired of you know, year-round constant elections. We are sent here to, to, to do the people's work and advance the state, advance the interests of the state. And so the tone that I'm taking is to, be a, is to have a collaborative tone, to have a, a tone that looks to find ways to, to move the state forward. I'm Lyle Muller with the Iowa Watch Connection. And Lyle sat down one-on-one -on -one with the governor shortly after she gave her condition of the state message. You'll hear the conversation next when the Iowa Watch Connection continues. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Tuesday morning, newly elected Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds delivered her annual condition of the state message before a joint session of the Iowa General Assembly. A few hours later, she spoke one-on-one -on -one with Iowa Watch's Lyle Muller. Here's that conversation. What I ask you first of all about voting rights, yeah. where did yeah. that come from? How long have you been thinking about that particular effort with the voting rights and also pairing it with the Victim Rights Amendment? Well, I'm, I believe in second chances. I'm uh, the recipient of really receiving a second chance, and so I think it's important that uh, we give felons the opportunity to you know, restore their rights, and so, but we also don't want to lose sight of the victims either. So this is an opportunity to really take, to address both and to do it in a manner that is permanent. Um, the problem within an executive order is it can change from governor to governor. And I think it's important that we have a process in place that would allow the people to weigh in on um, this really important issue. And so I believe that that's the way to go. Is this something that had been on your mind from the day you ascended to the governorship? Oh, you know, a whole host of things. I mean, so this is something that we've continually taken a look at, criminal justice, meet quarterly with the NAACP, and this is something that's been very important to them. And so it's, I think it's the right thing to do. I believe it's the right process. And uh, I'm really looking forward to working with the legislature and hopefully we can get that passed early on and then we can, it has to do two general assemblies, so it'll be, um, well, three years before we can get the final and we'll go to the vote of 2020. 2022 is when it would go to the vote of the people. Another thing that you paired in your proposals in the condition of the state address was overall health care along with the mental health care emphasis. Mm -hmm. What is your end goal there? What do you hope to accomplish? 
Well, that we have an integrated and coordinated health care system, that we have systems that are talking, that we have um, in place an infrastructure where Iowans know to go to get the services that they need. We have come so far on our mental health system and we're being recognized for that. I gave a couple of statistics. Overall, I believe we're seventh in the country for the mental health programs that we provide to Iowans and third when it comes to the adult system. But one of the areas that we're lagging is the children's mental health and we don't have a structure or program in place. And we have been talking about this for over two decades and it's time to stop talking about it and get something done. So by executive order, I created a board. I asked them to take a look at what that structure would look like and how we would sustain it going forward. And one of their uh, recommendations was to um, codify maybe the board that I put in place. So it will be similar to that. So I will be presenting legislation this year that puts in place a children's system and it will align with the adult system. I think it's really important that it, it fits within that two separate boards but you know at, at some point we should have a continuum of service that starts with the child and then as they age out into the adult system there's that continuation. So I look forward to doing that and then I think another piece of the proposal was to uh, buy down the, the wait list. That was, that's just another problem. Parents don't know where to start. They don't know where the services are. And then sometimes they're told that if they do find that out, it'll be two to three months before their child can get the service. And we need to um, uh, do away or remove or condense the, the wait list. What's been holding Iowa back on children's services? Well, it's not easy because there are already programs out there. They've had several different work groups. They come together. They make a recommendation, and, and just nothing gets done. So that's, that's part of the problem, and that's why it's so important. When I say integrated and coordinated, we have different entities, nonprofits, and people providing the services, but they're not coordinated, and people don't know where they're at. So we need a structure that can start to do that. Um, the, the advantage that we had with the adult mental health system is that there was a structure in place. It was a county-by-county county delivery system funded at the, by the state, but the delivery county-to-county. County. So we changed that in 13 and went to a regional system, right thing to do. Uh, we added additional services. Um, we wanted to make sure that every Iowan received the same core service no matter where they lived. That's what the regional regionalization piece did. And as we were moving through that, there were still barriers, and barriers um, to the services that were being provided. And so that's what the legislation that we passed last year addressed. And so now they're implementing the access centers, the support teams in homes, the 24-7 hotline, just areas where we saw there were still gaps. And so it addresses that. With the children's mental health system, we're starting from scratch. So uh, we have to put the system in place start to buy down the wait list and then we need to see where are the additional bar gaps or barriers and then we can address that moving forward. Never a one and done. Like anything that we've done, any piece of legislation that passes you, rarely do you get it right the first time, completely right. And, and really, we should always be reevaluating re what we can do better. So we can expect to see more on this in oh, coming years. Oh my goodness, I said, I said in the uh, address, you know, this is not going to happen overnight. I mean, this this is a process, but it's time to start the process. It is time to stop talking about it and to start 
moving on it. And so if we can get that done with the legislature, and there's a lot of, Senator Mathis has worked on this. I talked to her extensively afterwards. Um, this will be, this will be a really, really big, big step forward. One of the things that was interesting in your proposal was the money for teachers mm -hmm. to help train them yep. to identify yep. and understand what's going on in the classroom with children with mental health illnesses. Is that just something we've ignored over the years? Well, and how do you hope to overcome that? Well, I just think we want to make sure that our kids, when they're in school, that they're healthy and that they have every single opportunity to be successful. And if they are dealing with mental illness or some other issues from home, they're not at a place where they can be their best. And so, you know, our, our daughter's a teacher, so she teaches first grade and kindergarten, and their plates are full, but they have those kiddos in their classroom, uh, you know, from early morning to late afternoon. And so if we can help get them the training that helps them maybe identify early warning signs, I think that's, that's helpful. And so uh, the way I think that we have this set up is it, it will be ran through the Department of Education, and then they will either there's a lot of different ways that they could go to implement that maybe it's they'll have to probably do an RFP whether it's a private sector that goes in and, and company that trains them or the AEA that's a lot of what they do so there might be an opportunity to work with them and help them train our teachers so that they can start to identify early warning signs and and um, you know we've talked about that in other things we're, we're doing the you know do, doing uh, I think that was part of the bill that we, the opioid bill that we passed last year, maybe it was part of the mental health. So we already had taken some initial steps to really say that this is what we need to be doing with our educators. And overall, you're hoping for what a 2.3% per pupil increase in general education funding. Yeah. How hopeful are you that that can happen? Well, I think, you know, this is, that's the process. I put the budget together. It's a priority, has been, continues to be historic record investments in K-12 education. Well, we were able to go, we had tough budget years the last couple of years, and, um, but we held K-12 harmless when it came to any of the deappropriations that we had to do, and they actually got an increase where some of the other agencies didn't. So, um, you know, that indicates, I hope, to Iowans that this is really important. These young people are our future. And um, I think, you know, I feel good about the 2.3 in addition to that, my budget included another million dollars for STEM education. Actually, the children that are participating in the high-quality um, scale-up programs, we're seeing their test scores increase in math and science and reading. So I want to make sure we can get more of those programs in the hands of educators. And in addition to that, um, I put an additional, I think, $11.2 million in for the um, discrepancies with transportation funding. Uh, some of our rural communities, Dubuque is actually an area that's really impacted on that um, because of the number of miles that they have to travel um, that's taken away from what they're able to use for other, uh, for other areas of, of education. So I put some additional funding in for that as well. Future Ready Iowa seems to be a bridge with education but also the rural revitalization that you're talking about. Honestly, every, all of those pieces are just so connected. Um, you know, if we're going to, the biggest barrier to economic growth in our state is workforce and housing. 
and we have jobs and job creators and businesses that are growing all across the state. They just need people. So Future Ready Iowa will work with our businesses and Iowans and help get them the skills. Um, Empower Rural Iowa, you know, we have so much growth going on in our larger cities. It's hard for contractors and builders to get out in the rural, in, in, in rural Iowa. And it's hard sometimes to make the numbers work for um, rural Iowa. And so we can't, they can't get people there or they can't keep people there, either one, if there's not houses for them uh, to live in. So that's a piece of growing our economy and helping Iowans be successful. And the, um, the apprenticeship program through the prisons, I mean, that's another key component of that. We, we want them to, when they enter into society, we want them to be successful. And the more that we can prepare and get them the skills and match them up with an employer. I spoke with the two individuals um, that I, Michael and, and Steve, that I highlighted in the address. I've heard their story multiple times, met with them again after the t um, condition of the state and just said, I'm so proud of you. You are an example. Uh, you're an inspiration to other people that you can turn your life around and um, really, you know, have, have a great quality of life. And so anyway, there's all of those are so mental health. If we can help get people healthy, we can, again, you know, help match them up with a, a job or just um, better take care of them so that they can have a better quality of life. But it's all, they're all connected. So that gets me to my last question for you, and that is, is there enough money? Yeah, there is, because we've been very fiscal, fiscally responsible in the budget that we put together. We passed policies that is growing the economy. We're seeing growth. We're seeing, I mean, the statistics are, are really good. And so when you do that, it allows us to then fund the priorities that will continue to grow the economy. So the dollars are there because of the decisions and the policies that we put in place. We're seeing growth, uh, we're reducing taxes and regulation and, and providing a workforce. And if I can invest in Iowans and their future and we can help um, prepare that pipeline of talent, then we're gonna continue to see that economy grow. So that's gonna continue to be a positive story. Thank you, Governor. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds with Iowa Watch Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller. The conversation was recorded in the state capitol in Des Moines this past Tuesday afternoon. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more, iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.